What's up ladies and gentlemen, it is Tyson Popplestone here. Welcome back to Pop Culture. Today I'm uh, sitting down with one of my favourite comedians in Melbourne. He's also a, uh, a mate of mine. His name is Ashley Filzamay. He's a uh, he's a veteran in the comedy scene. 26 years he's been at it for. And man, he is, uh, he's toured all over the world, literally, doing his comedy. He's a, uh, he's a very funny man. He's a regular at the Comics Lounge here in Melbourne, which, if you don't know, is one of the most highly regarded venues to perform at, even just a couple of times. So to get there, you know, a few times a week is, uh, you're a big deal, is essentially what I'm trying to say. This Sunday, March 13th, he's recording his special. So if you're interested in checking out a little bit more of his stuff, make sure Sunday, 13th of March, you get in. Get in quick. There's still tickets remaining. And go and see his special being recorded at the Comics Lounge. Uh, man, we cover some fun stuff today. Talks about the first time he met Joe Rogan. Talks about smoking blunts with Joey Diaz. Talks about the process of writing comedy and figuring it out and bombing and getting back up and going again. And uh, it was just a fun conversation, a really easy conversation to have, which is uh, which is why we covered to about an hour twenty pretty comfortably. So I hope you enjoy this one. If you haven't heard of him before, you're in for an absolute treat. So enjoy this conversation with myself and Ashley Filzame. What are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero, nothing. What's going on, man? You just said you're a late riser. What's uh, what's happened? All right. Well, I, uh, so I, just, I have uh, sometimes I have insomnia, and uh, and I think uh, I was doing pretty well with it. But given that fact that the show is, is coming up, um, my creative uh, flow usually happens at night, like late at late at night. So I was up, you know, up last night, and I'll probably be up late tonight and the rest of the week to the show putting together the final touches of the, the show right now i'm just i'm putting the structure um of the show because uh i the, the jokes are, are i have no more room to actually work on the jokes anymore because the every the shows that i'm doing now uh to, to up lead up up to the show lead to the show uh the shows that i'm doing uh are pro shows as in no open mics Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so I have I'm just just structuring it, just trying to make it make sense to have to have it flow. But there's some jokes that don't have any relation to any other of the of the jokes. So I gotta, it's like I gotta find a way to to put them there because uh, they stand they stand alone. Usually the jokes have like three or four jokes that mm-hmm. like that have the same topic. Um, but there's like four or five jokes that are just like on their own that have nothing to do. Like the unwanted stepchilds of of the set, and I gotta find a place for them. So that's what that's that's, that's the point I'm at right now, dude. So you notice that a lot, do you? Like when you're coming up to a a pretty big project or a really big gig, is is that when insomnia kicks in for you, or is it just a random thing that sort of kicks in now and then throughout your life? No, I've always had insomnia, and I was doing I take my melatonin for it. I do I do pretty well, but um, I this particular time I'm, I used i uh, I'm actually using the insomnia to my benefit. Cause I usually, I always write late at night. Uh, I just can't, I don't do anything in the daytime towards my comedy other than maybe watch the show or watch the show as I'm getting ready to do a show. Um, but as far as like when I'm getting creative, it just comes in, it just comes at night. That that's when like my, my, I guess my circadian rhythm is, I guess they, they say it's at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, but that I'm in bed by that time. Yeah, man, it's interesting. I, I I find the same, brother. Like I, I feel as as though my my creative juices kick in late at night as well. Like I got a little boy here, I got my wife, and when they go to bed, every now and then I go, oh, some peace and quiet. Go make myself a cup of tea. Good, like a put a good instrumental track on, and and just sort of either go through a couple of jokes or, or try and write a couple of new ones. But 
it's something I've tried to flirt with a little bit. Like I've tried to navigate, all right, what works best, what feels best. And for whatever reason, right. I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a night owl as well. Only problem is I've got a baby that wakes up at six o'clock in the morning. So it's not, <laughs> not quite as late as what it was. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I find that it's really interesting when I talk to comedians, a lot of us see, seem <laughs> to find that that creative outlet comes in the, uh, in the late hours of the night. Yeah. I was talking to Billy Styles. you know, Billy, yeah. Yeah, man, comedian. he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, he's a great guy. I uh, I was talking to him yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I was, which we're talking about this. He goes, you know, Madonna does the same thing too. I go, really? She goes, yeah. He goes, Madonna goes to bed at five because she writes. She starts drinking around 12, and then she she, she writes at five. I'm like, that's, that's pretty cool because me, me and her have the same exact birthday. We're both born August 16th. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'm like, okay, that made me feel much better about this awkwardness that we have uh about about living our lives and what we do couple so, of leos guess what it is um you, you you see that little see that uh curtain right there yeah yeah i don't fall asleep until in that crack i can see the, the crack of dawn that's when my, my my body goes like that every day yeah every night wow man every night and uh sometimes i'm lucky i'll, I'll get i'll be able to go to bed at, be able to go to bed at four but that that right there, once I see that the sun or the dawn start coming to that that little that little part right there, that's when my body goes, okay, something shut down. And then I wake up around two or three. I still get eight hours in. So if I go to bed at like uh six or five or six, I'm up at two, you know? So I that, just woke up like not too long ago. So you still sleeping well. Actually, uh Paul Sharpland, <clears throat> bloke in the uh you, you know Paul, obviously. I, know, I love Peter, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're in the Phoenix Gorilla. Uh, he's got a weird sleep schedule as well. I was talking to him the other day and uh, he was saying to me that because of he's, he's still working and he's, he's trying to do his comedy around that. And he was saying that one of the things that he does is he's on this weird, like four hours on couple of hours off sleep, which I thought was really interesting as well. But it, it's strange, like creatives for whatever reason in so many different scenes, the, the sleep topic is one that I'm fascinated about just because of the fact that I always know there's going to be something interesting there because it's not just going to be like, all right, I'm in bed at 8.30 every night and I wake up at 5 or 6. No. It's going to be oh like, God, no, no, I, I was wish. out gigging really late. Then I came home and wrote and then my brain started going. As a matter of fact, I could make this better. I could figure out where these little bits fit in. Um, yeah, oh, but that's I interesting. Wish, man. I wish, man. I was going to ask if that's something that you've, uh, you've sort of navigated for your whole life or if it's just since you yeah. started doing comedy. Yeah, actually, it, it got really bad because when I was touring um, heavy, like in the States, like it was touring every week and you're flying through different time zones, you know? So what's like 8.30 for somebody else is like midnight for me, you know? So it's like whenever I like look at television or go on YouTube or we'll do any type of research, uh, light research that is on um, sleep sleep times, people say, well, go to bed by 10, be in bed by 8. I'm like, that, that doesn't really apply if you're frequently in different time zones. If you're in different time zones, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's, I, I go, I go about, about what my body feels. Like when I was doing cruise ships, man, that, that was like weird because I fly to like, let's say, Numia for um, a gig and then I have to wake up and then we and get off and feed you somewhere, you know? And, and like, it's just like, it's, it's, it really messes up your time. So I just listen to my body and go, this is the time for me because I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not a, what's what I'm looking for? I'm not a um, station, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I'm, so I'm, I'm always somewhere and the time, I'd have to go with the time that's there. So when someone says, okay, be in bed by 10, I'm like, okay, let's say I'm, I'm in 
I don't know, Miami. And then I'm supposed to be in bed by 10, but I fly to LA. And now it's, it's seven o'clock because they're three hours behind, you know? Or same thing here, here in Perth. Do I still have to be in bed by 10 if I'm there at seven? It, it's like, it, do you see what I'm saying? The, yeah. the, it depends on where you are, the time zones. So the time zones alone make me feel like I sleep when I'm, when I'm ready to sleep. And, I, and no matter what, I, no matter when I sleep, I make sure I get in eight hours. So if I go to bed at like five in the morning, six in the morning, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get up around like two. So if I go to bed around like nine, that never happens. Ten, it never happens because we, we, are, we are night owls. We perform at night. And then when you perform, you have all that dopamine and that, that surge or that rush. And you just can't fall asleep. You know, you get, you get that shit going on. So it's hard to fall asleep. My wife, she falls asleep on the dot. She, she could have coffee. And then just and then boom, just good knock. I'm like, how do you how do you do that? She's like, I admire it. She's like, we're in the living room, and she's like, okay, I'm going to bed. And I'm like, where are you going? Already? It's like, yes, yeah, it's 11:30. I'm like, fuck you. You're so lucky you can do that. You're so lucky you can just go to bed <laughs> and get up. So it's, it's hard for us, man. It's very it's very hard for me. It's hard for me to maintain that. But I try to I try to take power naps. Uh, the and I've like studied the, the times of power naps. If you take a power nap, uh, between uh, over ten minutes, over ten minutes, less than twenty, yeah, but your your brain is switched on. If you go like half an hour to an hour, you will be like groggy for like half an hour to thirty or to an hour to or until an hour before you before your brain is switched on. But the best time sleep you can do is get that ninety minute sleep power nap. If you get ninety minutes in, when you wake up, you're fresh. And I've I've had all those situations happen to me, man, all of them. When I when I was doing cruise ships, I would like take a, if my show is at ten o'clock. I try to be in bed by uh, uh, an hour and a half before that, or well, two hours before that, so I can give myself half an hour to fall asleep. And if I didn't fall asleep in time, it was hell trying to put my myself together, man. It's sleep is so important, man. It's so important, especially especially as you get older, you know. Yeah. How old are you now? Forty three. Forty three. Forty three. Man, and you've been doing so, this comedy for? Did you tell me twenty six years? The other night? This year's 26. Yeah, I saw when I was 18. This year, this year is be 26. But my show celebrated my 25th anniversary because I was supposed to do it last year, but you know, lockdowns and shit. So I kept it as that. And besides, I already printed all the posters. I'm not gonna just reprint posters and put 26. I'm like, <laughs> keep it 25, man. Keep awesome. It 25. Awesome, man. Now I'm so excited I got you before uh, uh before you film this weekend. So uh the big special. How you uh, how you feeling, man? You're in good form. I've I've been at the comics lounge more than I ever have recently. And I've, I've seen a, heap, a whole heap of you performing and emceeing yeah. and man, you've, uh, you've got the crowd in the palm of your hand, which has been awesome to, awesome to witness. But, but what's the headspace like going into it? Because uh, I know, I know when you, are you just doing the one recording? One shot, man. Like Eminem, you only got one shot. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, awesome. the recording is expensive, man. It's, it's, uh, you gotta say, I'm, I'm betting on myself. I'm doing this all myself. As far as like, I'm financing everything. I'm paying for everything myself. And then, to have to do that more than one time would, would cost me a, a lot more than what um, I would want to actually pay. You know, I'm, I'm already well in the, in the thousands for this special from like the set, the, the, set, the way I'm making the, the stage and the, the, the camera crew, um, uh, lighting for, for, for a bit. I got, you know, a, you know, Brett Blake. Yeah, man. He's like a like a lighting genius. You know, Brett's not he's not only a comedian, but he uh when Hollywood comes down to like film the movies and stuff, he's the guy to go to to help out. Like really? Hollywood. Wait, yes. Brett Blake was the guy he was on last night, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he's emceeing this week. I, I was he was supposed to emcee last night, but he had a uh, he had a trial show, so I emcee for him. But I'm supposed to I'm middling this week, so tonight he's in. We're, we're, we're together. We're, we're me and him are in for the rest of the week, and he's 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 emceeing. I'm middling, but I was talking to him. And he just like, uh, was like, yeah, man, I can help you out. I'm like, I was like, oh my gosh, you helping me out with the lighting is perfect because he knows exactly what. Can we cuss? Yeah, bro. Yeah, of course. You know what the fuck he's doing? Nah, he knows. He knows, <laughs> he knows, he knows, he knows what he's doing. And uh, to have him was uh, to get on board was a blessing as well. And uh, you know, he's giving me the mate rates for certain certain lights, but his labor, he's doing it out of you know out of the kindness of his heart, and that's really uh, it makes me feel a lot safe knowing that he's like I saw his special and he knew exactly how to do everything perfectly. I'm like, man, I wish I could do that for my special. And then I didn't, I didn't, I, I manifested it, man. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. I manifested it. Cause I was like, I was like, oh, the lighting thing was a, a, a thing for me. I was hoping my camera guy would have more, no more or less what to do. And he did, but it just so happened when my camera guy showed up to, for the meeting to Brett was there as well. And they both started talking. And when they started talking, they started talking all this technical stuff. And I was like in the middle like this, uh, uh-huh. And like, like, it's like, so do you use the F45 27 2000 lens? Oh, no, actually, you know, the, the, this and that, all these words. And I'm just sitting in the middle, like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. But I'm loving the conversation because I know that these two are like, just didn't know exactly what's going on. And then Andy, the sound guy, he gets in and they both start having this conversation. Like, stuff that I know I have no idea what they're talking about, but stuff that like I'm supposed to, um you know, have. They, it, they had they had everything all sorted. They, they figured everything out. And they handled it, so that was great. So that's that that portion of it I'm really happy about. Um, right now, the headspace is uh, look, man. I've done everything I could do to make to for this show. As far as like, even as far as like my diet, like when when I first booked the show and I was getting ready to do it, bef- uh, I uh, I was at I was weighing one oh two. I started going to the gym. I started eating healthier. And yesterday, I weighed in at, at eighty eight. At 88 Ooh, kilograms. very nice, man. Geez, fourteen yeah, so kilos four, drops not mucking around. Nah, man. I, I'm, just, I'm after this, this. This is what we need to. After this, I'm going straight to the gym. You know, um, but in doing that, I've actually adapted adopted that lifestyle. You know, what I'm saying like intermittent fasting and you know uh, a, a low carb diet and just like it just. And then I really got into it, and I'm like, oh, good. It's good to have goals because that is mm. actually good for your health. Not everybody can look like you, Tyson. We have to work for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh, <laughs> but um, it's um one of those things where uh, yeah, man, I just been and I've been going to every show I can. I don't give a shit if it's one person in the audience or if it's whatever, or if it's a shitty crowd or if it's just comics. You have to get up, man. You have to get up. I think there's a notion that people think that just because like I'm prevalent at the lounge. You no, know, I do a lounge a lot. That's like my home club, and that's the biggest club in the country. And it's like, that's like a room that you go to, to, you know, if it's on your resume, people will uh, book you for other places as well. It's, it's the, it's the top, it's like of the food chain when it comes to mm-hmm. comedy. Um, but that doesn't mean I always need to be there because I have to go work out before I can get there, you know, so I can, before I get back there. And if I'm always there, then I'm, I'm, I'm always showing. There's a, a time to show, there's a time to grow. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I show at the lounge. I don't grow at the lounge because the lounge is there for me to show my growth. Open mics are there for me to grow. So you'll find me at all types of like, places, you know, like people are like, what are you doing here? I'm like working on my new joke, working, working mm-hmm. on my act. And I've been doing that on steroids. And we had the lockdown. When we had a lockdown, I really had time to reflect and think about what opportunities I had that I, I missed out on. And 
uh, predominantly it was the open mics and how important open mics were and how important it is to get up at least three times a week, you know, and how important it is to, to cherish those times. And I said to myself, if we ever get this lockdown, it wasn't when, back then it was such, it was every day. So I was just saying, man, if we ever get this lockdown, I'm, I'm going to the gym, I'm doing this, I'm doing all these things that I wish I could do that, all the simple things that, that it was taken away from us. And I, and we, the second we got a lockdown, I haven't looked back, man. And I'm just, and I see it every time as uh, a joy and a, uh, a pleasure and opportunity and a uh, privilege. Cause you don't know what you have until it's gone, man. And when, yeah. when, when that shit got taken away from me, I'm like, fuck, I'm not letting this happen to me again. So that is a part, part of it. And I'm trying to release, I'm trying to let go of the anxiety of it. Trying to let go of the, of the you know, stuff like t- ticket sales and you know uh, you know the, the atmosphere and the lighting of the show and the, the filming and all that type of stuff. When you do everything on your own, it's it's really this is put it this way. My 26 years, this is the most important show I've ever done. Mm-hmm. This is the most important show I've ever put on. The most show, the show that I've worked on, uh, not just jokes wise, but like everything around it we're discussing. You know, like uh, the the filming of it and all that type of stuff. That I've worked, I, I've filmed a special before, but I didn't take it seriously because to me it was just another show. And because I was touring already, I was making good money, I was touring, you know. And to me, I was like, oh, I, I, that's right, I have, I have the show I gotta do on Sunday or on Monday, and, and they're filming it. And I got on there, and I was just like, oh, it, it wasn't anything to me because I because I knew the next show I had was already taken care of. I was I was with Pablo, so I was I was with the, I was already I was already set. Now I'm on my own, so this one has to work. Hmm. This one has to be the one that. Uh, is my coming of coming out to, uh, to Australia thing, and I just got my citizenship uh, last week as well. Yeah, so bro. that's like you know that that's a, another plus as well. So everything is just coming together, and I'm watching it come together, and I'm like, wow, this has actually happened. This has actually happened. When I was having that conversation between those two geniuses, I'm like, this is actually happening. And like that's what's that's going through my mind. They're talking I'm like, oh my god, this is I can't believe this is happening. So I can't believe this is actually happening. This is the most important show to me. It's so important, and I just hope. People have a thing of saying like, uh, you know, you 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 do fine, you do good, you know, you're you're always funny, and I'm I have that, I'm I'm aware that that. However, it could be the show that I bomb, and mm. I think about that every time for every show that I do, because the audience could not be that you know that um that happy or that you know that comedy savvy. There's so many things that could happen. It happens sometimes. You can't predict an audience, you know. So you have to hope and brace yourself, uh, not not for the worst, but to be able to withstand and change the situation should it be not a situation that you, that you want it to be, you know? Mm. Um, this is also the first time uh, I've ever done a show where people are coming to see me versus coming to see the comedian. Because all the shows I do is to come to see the comedy. Don't give a fuck who it is, just, just, just want to see a comedian. This time, they're like, we're coming to see Ashley Fiesen because we, you know, we saw him and we want to see what he's got. So that's, just say that right now, I feel a load on my shoulder. So. Um, that, that's what I'm thinking about, man. It's, it's, I've been training for this for about since, uh, since late November mm-hmm. and now it's going to happen in, in what, three, three days, three days is, is, it's going down. And I just really hope that all the work that I put in, uh, and all the thought and all the thinking I put in actually comes, comes to fruition, fruition, whatever, whatever that fucking that word is. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a, it's a good point, man. It's so exciting, but to, uh, but before we talk too much more about that, I wanted to pick up on something because it was something I wanted to talk to you about specifically. And that uh, is about how you're saying that the Comics Lounge, it's your home club. It's where you perform the most. 
But man, I see you often out uh, just putting in the groundwork at open mic comedy with your new material, seeing what works, seeing what you want to let go of. And yeah. uh, th- like that discipline element of comedy is something that I'm, I'm really fascinated by. Like I'm, I'm fascinated in discipline in all areas. I come from a, a background in middle distance running and, and obviously to be any right. good at middle distance running, that discipline, that commitment, that training and consistency, mm. it's just crucial. It's like the foundation of performance. There's no good runner who doesn't do all of that stuff. So I, the longer I spend in the comedy scene, man, like I'm, I'm new, I'm, I'm a baby compared to you. I've been here for three years and, and already though, you, you start to see a correlation between the, uh, the people who are doing things like what you're doing and the work ethic that they're bringing out. And I was, I was just curious to pick your brain around that work ethic, because obviously mm. in a scene like comedy, we can, uh, we can get some pretty crazy people out there in terms of, you know, how often they're gigging, how often they're performing, but, but in terms of being able to do that and maintain that over such a long period of time, like, is, is there something in you apart from just a love of comedy that gets you out of the house at, you know, 8 p.m. because you've got another gig tonight? Or is that just a, a discipline that you've developed over time? Like, I was just curious to unpack that a little bit with you. Well, you got to understand, <clears throat> when I first started at 18, like, my folks were like, you can't do comedy living here, you know, because you have, um, I got three sisters and a brother, and my one sister is a doctor, married to a doctor, another one's a, a teacher, I got another one that's a pastor married to a pastor and my brother like is like an engineering genius and he has his own businesses <clears throat> and here I am wanting to do comedy and they're like you can't do that in this house so they kicked me out of the house and uh, had, I lived in my car for the first two years so I was like but what I did was I uh I worked at the comedy club and the improv and uh in the daytime telemarketing and at nighttime I was a food runner which is like kind of like what a waiter does and I watched the shows and I'd watch the shows and and I try to get up on a, my first show. There was a competition and I won. And then I, that was every Monday they should do. And then what I, what I would do is I'll try to go in there every Monday, but I had a system. I'll sleep in my car, go to my girlfriend's house at the time uh, and take a shower. Her mom was cool. Her mom was like, you can't live in here, but you can take a shower. She was pretty cool. So I'll take a shower there. My clothes were in the car. She's like, I don't want your clothes in my house. Cause that's like moving in. So my clothes were in my trunk. And uh, I was wrinkled all the time. N- nothing was ever fucking, uh, uh, nothing was ever like washed. I mean, or or like ironed, something, mm. and, and not, and as far as washing, I try to sneak it into the laundry at the club, and I would sleep in the garage of the comedy club or in the car and in, in front of my girlfriend's house in, in in her lawn. You know, when you're 18, you're like, this is fun, this is whatever, and um, <clears throat> so, and then, it's it's all because of the love of the opportunity to to do comedy, you know, and it wasn't a situation where I felt like I had to make it. It was that I I was. I was good at it, but it was fun. It was so much fun. And it's, 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 it, it, it was just fun. It was, and that's what kept me going. It was the fun of it. And then it no longer becomes fun when you become professional. When you become professional, it becomes uh, work because it's now a career. So now it's, it's, it's uh, sustainability. When you're an open micer and you're trying to get on, it's fun because there's no responsibility. You know what I'm saying? You just have to, you, you can just go on stage and perform. But when you have to make money off of it, then it becomes a, a certain type of work, of course, kind of stress. You have your most fun trying to make it. You don't have your most fun after you make it. Making mm-hmm. it to me is to be able to, to do comedy and live off of that. And that's what happened to me. So and when I started touring with Pablo for a while, for a couple of years, and all those things happened. Um, but the discipline that I have now is because I started slacking on my discipline. And I started, because I started getting everything that I, I not wanted, but I didn't have to worry about gigs. 
and then the cruise ships would happen. So I didn't, I didn't really have to worry about gigs. You didn't see me much in the open mic scene when, when, when cruises were happening because I was always gigging mm. for money. And then um, when the when the cruise ship stopped, you just had time to reflect. And I became and during the lockdown, and I became the person that I, I became the person that I was when I first started doing comedy, with the element of being professional as well. So that's why I'm back in these streets because I realized I realized how important it is. I realized that this is this is what you have to do to to do it. So I I just made it. I I became a fan of comedy again. You know, like Chris Rock says, you got to become a fan of comedy to to be a comedian. So I became a fan and. It's just a, uh, it's just a way of life. It's not a duty. It's not a, a job. It's just, it's just a way of life for us, man. It's just, it's just what you gotta do. You just, you just, you, just, you I never want to stop doing it. You never want to stop performing, especially if you're, if you're good at it. You know, like it's, it's enjoyable. It's like you get to show off. You get to, you know, people are there to support you. So, it's if you see it as a duty, man, and you see it as work, it's not gonna be enjoyable. Like I enjoy this process. I enjoy the, the love of doing this. I enjoy the fact that. You know, I'm going to the gym just for this. You know, sometimes when I, when I, when I, when I look at the weights, I'm like, fuck, this is pretty heavy. Then my brain goes, how bad do you want that show? I'm like, oh, fucking. <laughs> Here we <laughs> go. <laughs> oh, this is for dick jokes. <laughs> 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 dick jokes. Dick jokes. Dick jokes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You'd be amazed what you, what you got to do, what you do, just so you can perfect saying a dick joke. Dick jokes oh. is the way of life, so. Oh man, that's so funny. That's such a good way to put it. All this hard work just for a dick joke. I love it. Bro, how long were you on the cruise ships for? That's a that's a pretty interesting thing. When I first got involved in comedy, I had no idea how good money comedians made just uh, you know, traveling around on ships and and telling their yeah. funny dick jokes every night. Was that a was that like something you did for a couple of years or you made a real career out of it? I made a career. Well, when I was in Australia, it's not, it's not like America. You see in America, um you uh, have 50 states, right? And 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 each of those each of those states, there's at least a minimum of like a minimum of five comedy clubs, which is actually being gen uh, not being like generosity on the other side. Like it's more than five, but a minimum of five, right? Mm-hmm. So five times uh, 50, which you got was like 500, right? Or 250. 250, yeah, 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 250, yeah. Um, so you have 250 clubs in a country that you can perform at. So you can const- and these are weekly clubs. So you can constantly work, work. I mean, if you do like, um, you can, you could do less than half of that and pay your rent for the whole year. You know what I'm saying? That's not the case over here. Over here, there's more clubs in one state in America than there is in the whole country. So you have to really learn how to adjust and uh, to make it here as a comedian, you have to be on television, radio whether you're working behind writing for radio or writing for television or whether you're on camera. Corporate comic, which is the comic that is a lot of corporate gigs that goes to like Telstra, Optus and does their functions and stuff like that. And, or, you be, or you do cruise ships. Um, corporate, I did a little bit of. Radio and television, uh, um, I, don't know, I don't know what's going on there. I'm not, I guess I'm not famous enough for that. But cruise ships was, was, the, was the way to go. So yeah, I was doing cruise ships heavily. Like, um, <laughs> When you do a cruise ship, you're away for the, the company I was working for. You do like a, a minimum of seven days. Uh, there's an option to do four, but I was like on a seven day one. So a minimum of seven days, like 14 days. And you do, I was doing two a month, which is a lot. So I was doing about 24 ships a year. You know, I think the average comic does about six or to eight, but I was just like, this is my, how I'm going to make money. And so I was doing like, and I was never on land. And so I, I would miss out on all the opportunities on land, but I was like, fuck that. I'm paying my rent. And I'm paying my bills and I was making great money on the ships. Like they pay you great on the ships. So 
it was um it it was uh a, a, just my like it made me comfortable hmm. and you get comfortable that's less that's less work you have to do because i'll get off the ship and i'll come back home and there'll be a gig like, you want to do a gig i'm like nah i just want to sleep in and chill man i have to be in an airplane in a couple of days to fly overseas to, to this place and then do the whole process again so to me it was to me it was all about money it wasn't and that's what it was but the, when the lockdown happened i, I realized man i got to really build a name for myself so I can actually start touring on land on my own and get my own thing. Cause currently there's no agencies or managements who are looking at me, or maybe they are, I don't know, who are like, you know, who are doing the job that I need them to do. So I gotta do it myself. And uh, I'm a firm believer in God. So I'm with God Productions. That's who, yeah. that, that's who manages me. So yeah, um, that's, uh, that, that's the, the, the ships was, was, was hard, a lot of work, man. A lot of work as far as like, they say you get paid for the travel. You don't get paid for the show. You know, you do one show, but you're you know, packing and dealing with immigration, consistently dealing with immigration, like all the time. And that shit was like, uh, it was, it was, it almost stifled me from getting uh, a citizenship because they, when they saw my citizen, to be a citizen, you can't leave the country for more than a certain amount of time. And they go, well, you, you left the country for at least 80, 80, 80 different times. And I go, no, no, I left the country, but I was like, just, overnighting it so I can get on a ship and I had to explain to them and that they almost they almost didn't give me my, my citizenship because they're like oh I said I know, I know what it looks like but I'm not leaving and like fucking off for three or four months I'm literally it's only for a day because what happens is when you, when you leave when you, when you fly out of a country there's record of it you flew out the country but when you like take a ship from Melbourne and you take a and you get off in Numia there's no record of you leaving and they go, fuck, how'd you end up in Numia? And I'll go, okay, I took a ship there. And when you take a ship, there's no, there's no record of it. So sometimes it looks like I just like, like, well, explain to us. I'm like, well, obviously I got there. So, you know, and that's, that shit was, that shit was crazy. I would go to the, I would go to the, um, the fucking airport in Numia to check in to leave. And then they go, we can't check you in. I'm like, why? Because it says here that you, you never left Australia. I said, like, how the fuck did I get here then? I'm right in front of your face. How did I, I walked here? I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't walk on water, bro. Like, how you, you think I'm just like doing this for the hell of it? Like I'm just coming to Numia? Why would I come to Numia when I live in Australia? <laughs> and it was like, it was so frustrating. So they, they have to call the immigration. Immigration go, okay, what ship was he on? What's the number for the ship? And they all this shit. And then they let me on the ship. This happened like these 20 times. And those oh. 20 times popped up in immigration. After I put my, that's why I hired a lawyer. I had to get a lawyer. I'm like, yo, I'm getting a lawyer for this shit. Because like uh, this shit was, it's it's like, a, usually you just sign. It's free to, to apply for it, to become a, uh, a citizen. And you know, paperwork and that's it. But my situation, I got a lawyer and thank God that I did because he like took care of everything. He showed me what to tell him and talked to them for me and had to explain to them. I was like, this is, and I also, at the meeting, at the citizenship test, they do two tests. You have to, they, they do a physical test and they talk to you like, they're fucking like, mm-hmm. Like they try to see if, you, if you're, if you're fucked up in the head. And then if you do, they go walk to that door. You can take, you can take, you can take the actual test. So in the meeting, they were, um, that's when they were giving me the, 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 a bit of a, a difficult time. They were very nice about it, but um, my uh, my my lawyer was uh, was able to to I forgot what I was gonna say, but my lawyer my my lawyer was able to help me out and figure it out. So, uh, I knew that problem that that would be a fucking problem, and I knew that I have to explain that because they don't want you out of the country for more than three months because they think you're doing something shady. And I was not out of out of the country for more than three months. I was out of the country for like a day, and you know those days in about three months. That's like uh, 
Yeah, but just looking at the records, they were starting to get confused. Dude, that's so funny. I love that you're in Yumea. And there's like, sorry, there's just no evidence that you were, you ever left to, to get here. <laughs> what, yeah, exactly. what, are you, what are you talking about? Well, what do you think happened? Like, how did I... It's not fucking Star Trek. Nobody beat me up over here, man. Like, And I don't want to be in your shitty country anyway. No, that, I'm saying They're not shitty. They're not shitty. But it's like, I want to go where there's electricity, you know? <laughs> it's a fair request. Well, it's a fair request. Yeah. Uh, dude, <laughs> so, what was it like? Uh, like the comedy scene in the US, have we, as you sort of just established, was uh, like it's a fairly intense. There's there's so many options in terms of uh, where you can gig, when you can gig, how much you get paid to gig. Uh, that yeah. would have been a pretty big thing on on your mind coming to Australia, was it? Just uh, trying to figure out how the comedy scene was going to work. Like, has it been a was it a bit of a culture shock in terms of the comedy scene when you got here? How have you navigated that part of the uh, that part of the move? I don't, to be honest with you, I don't even know. I, I think I just got lucky. Because when I came here, I came here, you have to have something to offer if you're not a famous comic here. So I'm billed as an international act. So um, everywhere I go, I can, I can headline anywhere because I'm an international act. So that, that, that's what saved me here. Um, I started doing the lounge and a lot unknowingly didn't know that doing the lounge was such a big deal to outsiders. Because like, when I was when I would book other shows and they would ask for a bio, they'll or they will create one for me, should I say? They um, one of the things that goes he's a he, he's a does a lounge he he, head, he headlines a lounge and that was a credit to them. So to them, so so to to me that was like I was already in the with the big league when I got here. You know, I just had to write new material and get get and keep it together. So and then I had to realize, oh man, I can't tour as much. Like, you know, I can't, it's like, what you got? One here that pays very well, which is a lounge. Uh, maybe two, I guess, uh, a Republic and um, Rubber Chicken, if you want to include those. But um, you get, and we got a couple in Sydney. You have uh, maybe one or two in Perth. You know, like, you got like less than 20 clubs that actively perform their work, work every week in the whole country. When versus like, just Florida alone has 20 clubs. You know what I'm saying? So... Uh, you have to really learn how to navigate. And then you have these like shows you do, you put on these, that's why you have, you have to do these pub tours, these pub crawls, you know, you go to, you know, you do these, these tours at this pub and this brewery, you gotta do those to, to manage, but that's not weekly and it's not consistent unless you have one, you have four of them you do every month, that, that's, that's monthly. There's a, way to, there's a way to do that, you know, but you have to be very smart about it. And the, people do that a lot. They do, they'll do one show here, they'll do one show there, and that show is, is monthly, so they have their audience coming in. So you have a, uh, a you get, get a bit of an earn, as you guys say. So I didn't want to go through all that. I didn't want to be in the admin portion. I don't like doing the admin of, of this, this portion. So I just want to perform. So I've just been lucky, man. My phone never stops ringing. Uh, uh, I never stop getting messages. So I'm always fortunate that i just been, I just, I'm a big believer in energy and vibrations and manifestations, man. And one of the tricks is I feel if you feel a certain way, then that's what's that's what you're gonna get. You know what I'm saying? That's what the universe uh, gives back to you. Like one trick that I learned was that if you want something, you're never gonna get it. You know what I'm saying? If you want something, you're never gonna get it. Let me explain that. Wanting is the feeling that you're putting out there. So the universe gives you the feeling of wanting it. So you're stuck wanting that. That's, that, that's, that's, what, that's what you're feeling. What you should feel is like you already have it and you should choose it. Then the universe reciprocates that. You choose it and you get it. But being in a state of want keeps you in a state of wanting. So you never get it because you always want it. 
That's what you. That's what you're feeling. That's what. That's the energy you, you you're pushing out. So that's the energy you're getting in. If you feel like you have it already, if you feel like you, you you're choosing to have it, then that's that. That's what you get. It's like people who have people who feel like they never have enough money. That's what happens to them. They feel like they never have enough money. That's the energy they put out. Me, I know I don't feel that way. I feel like I have enough money. I feel like I have enough shows. I've always felt that way. And shows just and money. It just it just keeps it it, it comes in. It comes in, and that's that's I'm a firm, staunch believer in that. Mm-hmm. So as far as shows go, I I don't think about like I'm running out of shows to do. So only time I thought about that was when the lockdown happened because like it put me in a fucking it put me in my my body and I wasn't in my mental I wasn't in my spiritual mind. So I was like fuck, and it, it was a scary place to be. But I had to break out of that, and then things started happening again, you know. So I don't concern myself with uh, the opportunities. Opportunities are concerned with me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's an awesome way to look at it, man. That's cool. I like that you said before as well, you're a firm believer in God. And I think that's something that our culture, not just our culture, I mean, oh, I guess Western culture as a whole has sort of uh, lost a lost a big uh, belief in or lost an appreciation for. And it's, it is interesting. Like whenever I speak to someone who does have a, like a really solid uh, belief in God, it's, it's always interesting to see how lightly they walk. It's, uh, there's, there's a certain weight yeah. that's lifted off your shoulder. I think when you're like, all right, no, no, I've got to, uh, and regardless of the language you use for it, I think when you're when you're aware of the fact that there's something far greater than you at work behind yeah. the scenes, um, who does have your best interests or does have your growth yes. at heart, it's like, all right, well, yeah. um, I can get upset, I can get stressed, I can get worried about you know what I can't see right now. But but as you say, like walking in faith, I guess you could call it is a, I mean, it's a pretty powerful step. It's a, it's nice to it's nice to hear that as well because it's a fairly obsessive scene, the comedy scene, and and I know a yeah. lot of people who are miserable about it because they they've been doing it 15 years and. They don't feel like they're at a place that they deserve to be. And it, it just doesn't look like an enjoyable or happy place, or happy way yeah. to live your life. And, and so you hear from someone like yourself with an attitude like that, you go, ah, cause, cause man, there's not many times. I don't think I've ever met you where you haven't had a smile on your face and uh, you know, you could be going through a tough time, but yet you always got time. You always got a smile. You're always walking, you, you know, you're, you're up and about. Yeah. And I, I've been curious about, about what the, uh, about what that is, because it's a, it's a feature that stands out, I think from a lot of other people in the scene. Um, I would look, man, and I, I rarely talk about it, but since we're talking about it, I, I, I will, I, and I, I rarely talk about it, uh, maybe 2% is because I don't, I don't want people to, to start looking at me like I'm some kind of a weirdo, but it, 90% is because you don't really have to talk about it. People will see it in, in you, you know, like they say, like they see like God in you to see like the, the, the Christ in you, whatever. Um, look, I don't, I know I curse, I know I smoke and I know I, I live, uh, I don't, people think that if you believe in God, you're supposed to be like this powerful, like all like spiritual, this and that. I do it in a realistic way, like because I'm human, you know what I'm saying? But um, like, okay, I'll tell you what I do. On the weekends, uh, I have what I call my Sabbath, right? Because I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not con- considered Seventh-day Adventist, but I keep portions of it that, that actually resonate with me. So if I'm not performing, what happens is every Friday night I do this, even when I, even when I get on from my show from Friday night. Every Friday night I do this, and my wife, she's cool. She doesn't let it. She doesn't let it bother her at all. But when I come in, I turn off everything that has ain't, that that has nothing to do with God. From Friday night to Saturday night, the second the sun goes down, uh, if I, the, te- the television goes on to those four, they, they go on to those four Christian stations. I have a YouTube playlist that I watch. I hope everything's but gospel music and like spiritual music and that type of stuff. Um, if I if I watch a movie, it's about God, and it's, I just go into this world where I I cut I shut myself off from the rest of the world from Friday night to Saturday night. And it's the most peaceful experience you can ever experience. I'm not in, I feel like, I feel like I'm not even in the world anymore. 
I feel like I'm in a space where like it's just me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God the whole time. And then when Saturday night comes, I switch it off. I step back into the world. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I just and then you know I I I watch what I want to watch. You know I'll, I'll do what I do. What I want to do. But from that time, from Friday night to Saturday night, that's my time to detach. People meditate. You know people go on sabbaticals. You know my thing is having my Sabbath is very very important because it it just it just works for me. Mm-hmm. I can't describe it to anybody else. It works for me. It's very mindful that you. It's very it's very uh, not mindful. It's very important that you have some kind of time to detach yourself from something that you're doing consistently or else you get burnt out. And because I do comedy so much, it's always on my mind. I'm so consistent with it. I I, I feel like I have to pull away and, and take a break to recharge. Some people go to the beach. Some people do what I got to do. Me, my thing is I listen to gospel music and I look, I watch preachers and I, and I look at, you know, different things and uh, I pray a lot, you know, um, but that's like my personal, that's, that's how I keep myself grounded from going crazy. Because in this business, you can go crazy. In this business, you can see a lot of shit that will make you pissed off or that will bother you. But you have no choice but to have something that, that keeps you grounded. And uh, for me, that's that's the, that's keeping God in my life, in a sense. But I never talk about it. You, you won't even know it unless, unless I told you. You know, because it's not... Some people feel like you're preaching to them or you're you're better than them or you're trying to be better than them. You're, you're holier than thou. So I don't say shit to people because they... They think, oh, you did. You think I, I said I was better than you. I'm just saying, I don't. I didn't even say anything. That just that this is like how I live my life. You do what you want. I don't judge anybody. Like I stopped drinking, but I still hang out with people getting drunk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I stopped smoking weed, but I still hang out with people smoking weed. I kind of stay at my distance because I don't want to get on my clothes. And I come home, Mark goes, "We smoking weed?" I'm like, "No, no, I was, I was hanging out." So, but like, the, the main thing is don't, you don't don't judge people, man. You don't judge anybody. Like you hear nothing to judge somebody else. Not even like crackheads in the street. No judging. You just let them be. You don't know what their journey is. You don't know what they went through. You don't know what's going on. The main thing is to be respectful and nice to them. I try to. I try to be. Uh, I try to uh, be respectful as, as possible um, to people and try to give them the same amount of respect. But in, in this business, man, you'll notice that <laughs> this is prevalent in the open mic scene. It's not. It doesn't happen in the in the um in the comedy like the comedy elites like uh, Hugh Z and. Uh, uh, all those big guys. The big guys, they're fucking chill as shit here in Australia. Chill. I mean, the most cool, like down to earth. It's the fucking open micers that have uh, a stick up their ass. Like <laughs> I've seen so many open micers that I've helped out personally in one way or the other when it first came out. And then like they um, get some kind of like play or get some kind of like, when I say play, some kind of like uh, attention or some kind of like, you know, a little something and they switch. And they fucking think that like they're the shit, and they have this attitude towards you. Like you know, like, I, I book comments for my room. They, they walk in, they don't even say hi to me, and then they find out that's my it's my room. They go, oh hey hey, it's just like it's so disgusting. I'm like you guys are, but you know, they're young. Jerry Seinfeld says, however old you've been doing comedy is how old you are. So you, if you're doing it for three years, you're three years old. You know what I'm saying? These cats have been doing it for like four years or or two years or six years or six years old. I'm a fucking adult. I can drink. I'm at drinking age in comedy. I'm 26 <laughs> years old. So it's like. And I'm older, so I, and I see these cats. I'm like, you guys are fucking stupid. Like, and I and I hang out with some of them. Some of them try to try to give me advice. I'm like, who the fuck are you talking to? Like, try to tell me like, you know, you, you, I'm like, just, you want to know why? And it bothers me because I hang out with them, and I, and I'm nice to them. And when you hang out with people like that, if you're nice to them, eventually they'll show the they'll they'll show themselves. They'll show the true colors. They'll, they'll think that they're on your level to the point where they start telling you what to do and shit. 
And it's like people, there's people really sometimes mistake my kindness for weakness. Like it's always, there's nothing more truthful than that statement. People will mistake your kindness for weakness and no one does it better than fucking open micers. Open mic, open mic uh, males specifically, um, they fucking take, think I'm like, like some kind of, because I'm there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm always willing to give advice. I'm always willing to help out. I'm going to just hang out. Just, you know, I don't have to do that. But some of them, not all of them, but there's a few of them. I'm like, and they'll just, they just think fucking, okay, he's one of us. No, I'm not one of you. I'll never be one of you because you, you don't even have two minutes of good material. Like I'm just, I'm around because I'm cool. And it's just, it's just, it fascinates me when, when they think that <clears throat> they could do that. And meanwhile, you have the guys like Hughesy and all those big guys who are chill as shit. You know, like I have these guys like Tommy Little and all, all, all the big guns that I'm, I meet. They're, they're fucking the chillest guys and they respect, they're respectful. They just, they don't have that fucking weird. I don't understand it. It's, it's a backwards thing. The people who can have the, right, the rights to fucking be a dick don't. And the ones who have no reason to be a dick become a dick just because they, they got a good five minutes or a good seven minutes. And it's just, it's just, it's, a, it's disappointing, you know? And, it, and a new one pops up every time I hear when they talk shit about me. I'm like, why would you do that? Like, why would you? do that to me like i've never done anything but be nice to you but i'm still nice to them and i'm still you know cool with them but i'm gonna have, i'm gonna have to limit my uh my my appearances around them because these people really think that um they're they, i make i make them feel big just by being around them mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like i make them look good like if we go out in public in the comedy scene and i'm hanging with them they look better i look like i look if anything i look like shit come hanging on a, <laughs> a fucking shit comic <laughs> or a comic who doesn't, who doesn't have anything. Yes. So for them to turn around and act like fucking they're like, you know, like above me or to talk to me in a certain way, I'm like, man, these, these motherfuckers don't have any respect. Like, you know, like, and they're not being rude, but it's just like, they're not aware of what they're saying when they talk to me. Like, they, and I let them, like, I, I, just, I just play stupid. I'm like, oh, really? You think I should do that, huh? Oh, okay, I should, yeah. Oh, yeah, I should, I should do that. Yeah, okay, cool. And I want to tell them, hey, man, how many bills have you paid through comedy? Yeah. Oh, sorry, you haven't. Yeah, okay. Can you even buy a, a hamburger from the money you made in comedy? So like, but that's the ego. I have to just put away. Your ego is not your amigo. Your ego will fucking crush you, bro. So, so fuck the open micers. Yeah, I said it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the that'll be the intro to the show. No, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it, interesting, man. Like I've, I've actually noticed that myself, dude. I, uh, as I said, like most of my experience now is in the uh, in the open mic scene, and like rubbing shoulders with a couple of these guys is. Is like it, it's great a, a lot of the times, but I know there's a there's a competitive nature to it at times when people are fighting for gigs and uh, you know people are trying to uh, get a little bit ahead of the other comics. You you can see it, you can sort of sense it as well. But and I did a uh, I did a regional gig once and I was I was super nervous because it was it was me Dave Thornton and and Johnny Katz and I'd never met these boys before, yeah. but I'd seen Dave Thornton on uh, on TV and I'd seen Johnny crush it at the Comics Lounge and I was. Man, I was it was a year about a year and a half ago, and I was I was new to the game, and I was like even newer than I am now, and I was green, and I was nervous, and I was going there. I was like, Fuck, who? Like, I wasn't necessarily thinking this, but maybe it was at the back of my mind. Who the hell am I to be here with these guys? Anyway, Dave walked in with Johnny, and uh, mate, as soon as he walked in, Dave goes, "Hey, Toss, that you're on the list with us, yeah?" I was like. Yeah, man, I was nervous because I'd seen him on TV and we're having a yeah. dude. We're speaking for 40 minutes. He didn't have a bad word to say. Everything was encouraging. Everything was dude. Yeah. Like it was just yeah. a it was a completely yeah. different vibe. So it's interesting that that you say that's a, a common experience because because I left there, man, knowing that these guys were well and truly above me in terms of uh, how many bills they had paid, in terms of 
how many people they'd performed in front of. And the fact that Dave had the time, the fact that Johnny had the time, I go, yeah. uh, ah, man, like uh, it, it's a different experience that I've had. Not yeah. to say that all my open mic experiences are bad, not at all. Right. Like, right. 90, 95% right. of them are amazing. I love the guys there. But, uh, right. but to walk away from that experience and go, ah, these are, these are a couple of the biggest names in, in, the, in the Melbourne comedy scene. And, and they're yeah. treating me with that kind of respect. It was, a, right. it was something I sort of took a mental note of. And I definitely appreciated it as a, as a newer performer. Yeah, that, that that's Dave was great for that man. Dave was uh, whenever I see him, he's always well. It's just conversations about nothing. It's just a conversation about nothing. We're just talking in the green room. You could just tell that we're just like we're just we're vibing with gelling and you know and you know same thing with little and you know Hughes. You know them. They're just they're they're because they know what they have. Successful people don't have to act successful. It, it speaks for itself. Uh, same thing with like funny people. Uh, who are good at what they do don't have to um, do things like look. I feel like if you're not as good as if you're not as good if you're not as talented as you are on stage, your fucking marketing game needs to be fucking on 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 steroids hmm. because that's how you're gonna get it. And that's a lot of people, a lot of people do that. Me, I made the mistake of just saying I'm funny, so I don't have to worry about marketing myself. And I and I and I just realized you know maybe a couple of months ago like okay I have to have a social media presence. This is the way of the world, so I got to fucking Get on social media. It's not. It's not just about being funny anymore. Because any 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 person can go viral and then say, "Okay, I'm a comedian now." You know. So, but there are comics who do go viral when they're actually comics. You know, there's comics who like you know Neil Cohactor. Dude, I don't. Neil, Neil, you're 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 the Neil Cohactor. The uh, he he does a he's like really big and as far as like uh, a social media presence, but he's actually a real comedian. You know. He's a guy who actually does stand up, but he's like big on a social media platform, you know? So he's an anomaly, you know? Um, there's people like him who who have that, but then there's a lot of people who just have a social media presence, but they don't have any, um, they're just trying to get into comedy to, 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 because they because they, they have a presence. And it's like, that's cool. That's all right. But I feel like, and I'm probably gonna get some hate for saying this, but it'll be, it'll be hate by people who fucking aren't, you know, I'm not concerned about, but, there's this thing where this is there's this uh uh energy and there's just this this way of life right now that's being lived when comedy that people are, are gonna miss out on what's really important because you can get famous before you get your set together. Mm. Back then when I when there was no social media, you had to be you had to be a strong comic to be even looked at to be able to get on television to get famous. But now if I do the right six, seven, six to eight minutes, six to second, six to seven second video, that's great, boom. I'm famous. I'm good. Now I can get people to come see me, right? But when people come see me, they can't. Uh, they're, they're, they're you know, I'm not gonna be able to perform to the level of a true professional, you know. And they're there, then they're, and that's my audience. So they're there to see me. But when I go to a different audience, I'm like, fuck, gotta figure this shit out. So what happens is they never figure this shit out, but they have the consistency of having their own audience in front of them. So they're they're spoiled. In a sense, and when you're spoiled, you don't really grow anything. So um, they're missing out on the actual true roughness. They're missing out on the true, like, you know what I'm saying? Getting their feet dirty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Instead of getting their feet dirty, what they do is they have a pair, of, they, they get a pair of shoes and they walk the walk. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's a smooth walk. But what happens is the path sometimes gets fucked up and they're afraid to get their shoes dirty. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it's, it, and meanwhile, there's motherfuckers who... Who are who can get their feet dirty and still walk and walk the path? 
these motherfuckers have clean white sneakers and they walk in the path, but, but they see a fucking uh, uh, dirt or try to walk around because they become real, they're nice, they're nice, tough. I don't want everyone to be a comedian that needs to have my audience in front of me. I don't need my audience. I need the people in front of me. I don't give a fuck where you're from. Because I've, I've toured like so far 18 different countries I've toured, you know, like, because like from Scandinavia to all over Europe, uh, fucking, um, uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand, fucking, I went, I went, I went to Lebanon a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's all about connection with the audience, man. Connection with the people, not connection with the people that you already know. And then fucking, it's just like being funny around your friends. They're going to like you already. Now, I, I, may, I may be a hypocrite when I say this, but I'm going to experience that for the first time Sunday. There's people coming to see me, but that's different because like I'm filming my special coming to see me and I have that in mind. So I'm taking full adventure. I'm doing jokes that I know that aren't as funny, but because they like me, I can get away with it. So that, that, that's, that's a different story. It sounds hypocritical, but I just feel like we're, we're in a dangerous position. Not dangerous, but we're in an unfortunate, not unfortunate. We're just in a, um, a position where, oh, you, you can be uh, subjective however you, however you want to see it. But we're in a position where if you, you get famous before you do comedy and then and you can't really, and if, if that keeps happening, this industry is going to be weak because the industry will actually pick up people who have that ability because all they give a fuck about is selling tickets. All they care give a fuck about is pick, packing their rooms. So they find out that you're, you're, you're someone who has a strong social media presence and you can pack out a room. You don't have to be funny. You just fucking, they'll get you on and they'll start making money off of you and, and they'll promote you to do all this shit for you. And I know I'm going to get hate for saying this, but it's the fucking truth, man. Mm. It's, it's, it's real shit. It's not like, this, this, this game isn't about facade. It's not about fucking being fake. It's about stand-up comedy. I think about like Richard Pryor. I think about Dave Chappelle. I think about Chris Rock. I think about these guys who do stand-up comedy versus people who are just trying to get in for fame. And it just, it dilutes it, but they're young. And when I was young, I just wanted to be famous too. But then I realized this business, you can make a great living without being famous and just do what you got to do. But over here, I guess you got, this is what you got to do. So uh, more power to them. No, no hate on them, but no, nah, dude, I, I know exactly what you're saying, man. Actually, it's something I've spent a fair bit of time thinking about this. I, I listened to a guy well before I got into the comedy scene uh, by the name of Seth Godin. He's a he's a blogger. Uh, he he does mm-hmm. like a daily blog post, and it's he's from the world of marketing. And one of his key points that he constantly comes back to is, hey, you can be the king of marketing, but in the end, have you got a product? Like, have you got right. a product to sell? And and his whole point is sort of like what you were just saying then that so many people. They've got the audience. They've got a whole heap of people who are paying attention to their, you know, their minute and a half video, whatever it is on Instagram. They come to see the show. And as you say, it's like, ah, oh, okay. So their videos are great, but they don't quite back it up on the stage. And I, I know exactly what you're saying. Cause it's a, I guess it's a tightrope balance. You want to get that fame as a young person, especially you want to get that exposure. Um, but, but so often, I guess it's, it's easy to get caught up on the wrong platform. Go, all right, well, social media is where it at, where it's at. I'll put more time into this than actually refining yeah. my comedy and, and exactly. uh, I don't know if you've heard of Awaken with JP on, on YouTube. He's got like 2 million no. people who follow his page. He just does silly little skits. And, dude, people love him in his skits. And uh, he's a stand-up. <clears throat> and I don't know. And I don't I, – far out, man. Like the amount that he would probably earn through his videos and the exposure that he's got, I, I, I can't even speak to that. But he's uh, – I've watched some of his comedy and I'm like, ah, okay. So I think your strength is actually your YouTube videos. Like I think that's right. where you're – your real strength is so I, yeah i i find that interesting man to try and uh, to try and na- navigate that balance between all right exposure and actually refining your process but for you your process is 
is, all right, hey, I'm a comedian. I'm going to refund this part of my game. And anyone yeah. who's in the room, I'm going to make them laugh. That's the plan. That's what, that, that, that's what I got into. I, I got into stand-up comedy. I didn't get into social media. I got into stand-up comedy. I'm a comedian. I'm not a social median, whatever the fuck you want to call that shit. You know, it's like, that's what it is. You're a social medium. You're not a comedian. So it's like, I, and I, to me, it's, I'm old school, you know, like, I've, 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 and I'm, once I'm old school, I was, I was 18 when I started. I was just as young as some of these, some of these cats. If not, I was younger than when these cats started. So it's like, I've been doing comedy longer than it didn't have been alive, you know, when they were still in their dad's balls. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> it's not, it's not a thing where it's, it just, this shit's not, it's not real. If you want to be a giant and you want to be, you want to, you want, you want to have potency, man. You want to be potent. You want to be, you want to have a legacy. You want to have a foundation. And they're missing out on the point because, and the reward is the fame that you get, the, not the, the notoriety that you get. You climb there. But what happens when you get the notoriety, you don't appreciate what was going on. And, and, and when you don't appreciate it, now your product that, you, that you're giving to people is shit. And what happens nine times out of 10, you'll be really big, right? And then you'll get fucking hungry guys who are opening acts. And these open acts will fucking destroy the stage. And you get on there and then fucking you're, you're subpar because fucking, is subpar the right word for this? So, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah, okay. yeah subpar. Not, not at the level yeah, that it, it should be. Yeah. It, and what happens is the audience goes, fuck, the opening acts were really good. And this motherfucker here, he was, I mean, I like him, but, or I like her, but the opening acts were way much better. And is, is that what you want? Is that what you want? You want a hungry motherfucker to come steal your shine because you didn't put in the work you should have put in? No. Get out there in the streets and fucking grind, man. That's, just what, that's what this shit is about. It's, it's, a, it's a grind. It's a hustle. It's not even a hustle. It's a grind. It's a fucking work. So technology's fucked that up, man. But you know what? Man? More, more power to them. I'd rather be the guy that, that you're scared to follow than the guy you want to follow because mm. you know fucking you, you, look, you look better. So um, that's that, that, and that goes to the, the, the people who think that social media is like the king, which is, in essence, it is. I see what they're saying with the marketing. I get that. I get that they're marketing. They got to market. They got to market. But you, you, you focus on marketing when you're not funny when, or when you're not as powerful as you are because you got to fool people. You got to fake it till you make it. But the thing is with comedy is you can't fake it on stage. You can fake it off stage. When you get on stage, it's the truth. Have you seen Seinfeld documentary, The Comedian? He says yeah. it himself. He's like, you know, I come out to all this big ass clapping, but I still got to produce. So when I'm doing new jokes, the, the artist doesn't understand I'm, I'm doing new stuff and they go, oh, he's not funny no more. It's not that. He's going back to the drawing board. You know, he's getting that, he's getting that process done. If if you don't follow that process and you, you're constantly like doing your audience and doing your um uh uh, uh your thing to a specific audience, you can make money off that and live well, and that's great. But comedy is about being funny in general, uh universal, you know? You want but not, if you're making money, living your life, and all that, and it works for you, that is good. It's great. But we're talking about stand-up comedy as a not a not a business, but as an art. Hmm. When you make a, when you make it a business, that's that's one thing. I'm talking about the art artistry of it and the, the potency you have in the artistry. You know what I'm saying? Like it's up to the you know, artist. I know I know everything is artist subjective, but at the end of the day, you want to be on the majority of, of the subject of, of the subjective, not the minority of it. Yeah, it's such Sorry. a great point. It's such a great point, man. Dude, uh, reflecting on uh, you starting at 18, you just reminded me, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is even a true story, but someone told me the other day and I was like, man, that is such a funny story, especially because of the uh, the platform that this guy has. But you at 18 in the comic uh, in the comedy store, 
um, rehearsing your rehearsing your, your stand up set in front of the mirror and and Joe Rogan. Oh, Joe in. Rogan. Is it yeah. a true story? Yes, true story. What happened yeah. there, man? That's so. That's so this, 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 this was this was the improv. Uh, I think I'm my eighteen or nineteen at the time. Joe Rogan. So I was Joe. Rogan, I was telemarketing in daytime. When when telemarketing in daytime, you gotta understand the, the club is open in the day. So the acts would fly in and they would stay in the condo or the hotel, depending on how big they were. You know, if they were like just a regular a uh, uh, regular headliner that didn't have that much pull, they'll stay in the condo. If they were bigger, they'll stay in the hotel. And they're, they're, they're there in the daytime and they will come in and they'll hang, talk to us and hang out. So I got a lot of me from Dave Chappelle. I got to meet a lot of comics that way. They come in how, how the numbers are, how this and that. So that week I happened to be, um, it was Joe Rogan's week. Joe Rogan was in the show uh, when he played the, Joe the Mechanic. But I noticed because I was one of the telemarketers promoting the show. Like, yeah, this week we have Joe the Mechanic. Uh, we, and you want 10 free passes to come see the show. I used to, we used to do all that type of stuff. So uh, right now, I think about it in hindsight, that's fucking, that, that was a great opportunity. But now, but back then, I was just like a kid. So anyway, so, and the manager goes, hey, you want, can, you, can you do a spot tonight? Because one of our, um, one of the, the, one of the features is going to be late. So maybe you want to do five minutes to give him more time. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. So um, I um, I went, uh, I telemarketed in the day. I met, I saw Joe. Hey, what's up, Joe? He's like, hey, what's up? And I, how the numbers are, you know, talking to him normally. And then uh, went to my uh, girlfriend's house, took a shower, changed my clothes, came back for the show that night. And I'm in the mirror. I'm going over my act in the bathroom. This is the improv. And then he walks in and uh, the mirror's right here. I'm in front of the mirror. The, 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 the stall is where my hand is right there, right? And I'm going, I'm going over my act. And then he goes, turns around and goes, hey, now mind you, his hand's on his dick. You know what I'm saying? Because he's taking a piss. And he goes, what are you doing, man? I'm going, I'm going, I'm looking, I'm going, I'm going over my act. He goes, dude, don't do that, man. It's unreal. It's unreal, bro. Now this is the mirror. I know what he meant, but my like, Joe so it was unreal. And ever since then, I never looked in the mirror um, when I was going over my act. Never, ever, 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 ever. And it took me a while to figure out what he meant. But that shit was crazy. So that, that's that's one of the many stories that I have with like some of the popular comics. He goes, it's unreal. It's unreal. Uh, he he knows his boy Joey Diaz, Coco mm-hmm. Diaz. We used to hang out together. We used to do a lot of a shitload of drugs together. Um, like ecstasy and shit like that, and um, we smoked. I remember we did a, we did a, we did because he's he's he used to live in Miami. Um, I remember we did a show in uh, what was it? It was it was Little Rock, Arkansas. We did a show uh, and then we fucking got a bag. No, this was the El Paso, Texas. We he was headlining and uh, I was doing I was the feature spot and we stayed in the same condo, right? And uh, I was I want to get some weed and oh, what happens is in El Paso there's a rule. You go into the cupboard in the kitchen, open it up. There's a bag of weed, right? You don't. If you finish that weed, you gotta make sure you replenish it for the next comment. That was that was the rule in, the, in that particular in that particular room. So we go there. There wasn't enough weed, so we went. We got a bigger bag. We got a big bag, like fucking big bag. And I got some blunts and stuff. And he and back then a lot of white, a lot of a lot of non-black acts didn't smoke blunts. They used to put papers. And but Joe was like, I mean, Joe D was like, fucking yeah, fuck out, whatever, man. I smoke a blunt, so I, I got a pack of blunts. And we're smoking a living watch television and fucking we finished one and my head would be fucking like, oh God. She's like, come on, man, let's go. Another one, another one. I'm like, fuck. And I don't want to disappoint the guy, but man, this guy fucking, he's like, God, oh, I think we must have smoked like three blunts like per night after the show. So every night, fucking another one. I'm like, fuck, Jesus Christ, man. And we talk shit and shit. Yeah, man, he was cool as shit, man. That that, that whole crew is they're just see that's not, that's another thing I'm talking about. Like big guys, just cool as shit, man. They're cool as shit, man. This is fucking uh, you know, they're just on, on a different level. Man, when I first started doing comedy in Miami, there was only like four comics. <laughs> and then so there's there an open mic every Monday. There's only like four or five comics, right? And there's only one club. And then 
by the time I left, uh, Latour and Pablo was like maybe 18. Now, there's over 300 comics, 300, trying to fight for three for three clubs. This shit is just saturated. I'm like, man, I, I got in, I got out. You no, know, was fucking, you know, I'm glad I got in when I got in. Even around now, you, there's a new comic every day. I, I never heard of this person. I, I guess that we're making it look so easy. Everybody feel like they can do it, which is cool. So it's just saturated now, which is great because it keeps the the um the game alive. I, and that's another thing uh, I wanted to talk about as well. It's like you can't want you can't be the best comedian. Imagine if you were the only funny comedian in the whole world. Where would that industry be? Mm-hmm. I, when I see a comic gripping and killing, I go, "That's great," because people that are watching that knowing that comedy is great and it can be done. You know, and uh, they're gonna come back and watch more comedy, and hopefully it'll be it'll be me next time on stage. If every if every comic was horrible except for you, people wouldn't go out. Do you, do you really think that you you want to be the best? You want to you got to be careful when you when you when you think about when you try to act, when you try to behave uh, like you like you're the best because you want to be one of the best, but you can't be the best. Comedy is subjective. You want to be one of the greatest, but you can't be the greatest. And whenever you see a comic getting their shine on and they're fucking doing great and a, a real comic, get be happy for them because they're helping your industry out. They're helping you out indirectly. They're helping you out. A comic comes to the lounge and destroys it. That's great. People come back to the lounge. And I get to I get I get to come back to the lounge. Comic goes to open mic and kills. That's great. People come back to the, people go back to bed. And when I'm there, they'll, they'll they'll see me too, right? So you have to be very happy when you see comics shining. When when they're getting their shine on, um, that's great. That's how comics though, like real comics or people who are trying to do comedy. If mm-hmm. it, if it's open micer that is, has a great set, be happy for them. That jealousy factor needs to get I get go. You can't. There's no point in being jealous. There's no point in fucking having type of uh, um. This competition within yourself. That's another thing that uh fucking um Joe Joe told me as well. I never told this story. Um, he goes, bro, the competition is within yourself. He told me a long time ago. He like he was he, he just fucking dropped dimes. Just told me like what's going on, and um, now now look at him. Fuck, I wish I could get on. His, I wish I could get on his, on, his, on his podcast. He probably won't even remember me. You know what I'm saying? Because that it was just a one of And then I saw him again. Uh, and and I, my parents flew from. I, I was living in California. My parents flew from Florida to California, and that's a big deal because my mom is, has a fear of flying, like me. And she surprised me. My mom's a hardcore Christian; doesn't watch any television, barely any television. And they were they were there to convince me to stop doing comedy to come back to to my my mom. I was like, "Hey, I bought you. I have, my mom has several houses. I bought a house. I'll give you a house. Let's come back and let's try to do something different. Let's just switch to school. That's what the plan was, right? I go, All right, I'll think about it, mom. And um. She goes, I go, I go, listen, I called the improv, the Hollywood improv, because I, I, you know, I'm in with them. So I called the manager, listen, my mom's in town. Um, can you give me a spot? So, oh, of course, sweetie, no problem. So they gave me a spot. Now, we're driving from my house, like that, that Saturday, we're driving from my house to the, the my dad's driving and um, to the, the comedy club, the improv, right? This is Hollywood. They've never been to Hollywood. They don't understand it, right? They don't know what it is. So we're driving. And I said, mom, for some reason, I don't know how the conversation came up. But she's either I asked her, she was telling me, she goes, you know, I don't watch much television, but there's one show that I watch and I, I, I love it. It's called Fear Factor. I go, yeah, yeah, Fear Factor. She goes, yeah, yeah, they're, they're eating all the stuff. She's just, just laughing in the front row. She's like having a good time. She's laughing about it. We get to the Hollywood Improv. It's a long ass line. And my parents, like, they get in line. I go, no, 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 I'm, I'm one of the comments. You can come. come. So we, we pass the line and we get to the front because I'm one of the comments. And they're like looking at each other like, oh, fuck. <clears throat> we get there. Who's at the bar? Joe Rogan. <laughs> yes. My mom doesn't watch anything, but she watches. I'm getting chills talking about it, but she watches Fear Factor and she knows who Joe Rogan is, right? <clears throat> so after the, after I do my set, 
Joe's outside talking to people. And, and my mom and my dad are walking out. I go, hey, Joe, I'm Ashley. He goes, yeah, yeah, cool. And I say, hey, this is my, this is my parents. Um, they watch Fear Factor. And my mom, she's so, so excited. My mom has a strong Haitian accent, right? He's like, she's like, yeah, you, 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 you do something that's crazy. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, what was that, man? He goes, you're just crazy. My husband watches you. He goes, oh, yeah, we like crazy stuff. So cool, so chill, right? Um, <clears throat> we leave. Two days later, my mom goes, well, I came here to try to get you to come back. But your dad goes, no, he's, he's going to make it. Leave him here. And fucking, they just left. Well, they didn't leave that right like that, but like, keep doing what you're doing. All because they saw Joe Rogan in their mind. That's what they see on television. And they saw me in a Hollywood improv. And they saw me like, I got, I got in line. And then, then I was talking to Joe's. And you got to mind you, this is the, how weird is that? The only person that she watches on television, aside from all her Christian shows, is Fear Factor. And the guy's right there in her face. So she's like starstruck. And me, I'm talking to him as a colleague. So everything just changed. All the disbelief that they had in me just broke and it was gone. And they go, listen, we support you. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Your dad says he's proud of you. So we're happy to see you, but stick with it. And it just, it just, everything just changed right then and there. That's my Joe Rogan story. That is a, that is a crazy Joe Rogan story. That's so funny. And I yeah. love the fact that Joey D has got to mention as well, man. I love your whole take on, on watching someone killing comedy is it's such an awesome perspective because as a, as a, uh, if you look at it as a competitor, and this is actually something I've heard Joe Rogan talk about on his podcast, is you've got to celebrate the wins of these other people because otherwise it just becomes a bitter experience. Because as you say, it's never going to be a, it's never going to be a, hey, I'm the best. No one's ever going to top me. No one's ever going to be funnier than me. It's, it's not only unrealistic, it's just impossible. It's just not going to happen because it's, it yeah. is so subjective. A comedian <clears throat> you love, I might hate, or vice versa. And, and, and that sort of same attitude uh, replicates with, with everyone who watches comedy. But, but to, to look at it as a, hey, this is bringing, this is bringing people back to the industry, um, not only helps the industry, but also helps your enjoyment and celebration of what it is you're actually taking part in. So that's, exactly. uh, yeah, it's something that it's funny, man. Yeah. Like I, I was watching, I see you and Johnny Catch just tear it up at the comics lounge and I go, ah, like it's easy to celebrate <laughs> when it's not necessarily someone you're doing comedy with every night. But when it's someone yeah. you're rubbing shoulders with, I can see how that competitive element comes in. Do you know what I mean? Of course, of course. A, that, that That's natural, man. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, like, like Cassie, I tell him to his face. I go, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to follow you, man. And I'm, I'm not trying to have, and I, I told him, so fuck, when, when, when we're on the lineup, I go, I'm not following Cassie, am I? I don't want to follow him. It's not, it's not that, you know, I'm scared of following him, but I don't like it. I don't like following Cassie. He just fucking absorbs so much of the audience and fucking destroys. So there's another comic called Mick Meredith. I used, to, I used to hate following on cruise ships. I hate following, but I'm happy for them and I get along with them, but I tell them to their face, I don't like following you because you make it too difficult for me to, to fucking get my get my footing. Not to say anything, every, every, I can follow any of the comic, but it's like just, certain comics just, they, they, they pierce into my soul and they fucking really, they, they, they shake me up a bit. Cassie's one of them. Um, so, um, but I'm happy for them. So that, that that's, 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 that's as far as it goes with, with competition. But I do understand what you're talking about when it comes to the open mic scene and them being compared because you're young, your brain is young. You're, you're, you don't, you're not mature enough to, uh, to be able to handle that type of stuff because you, and you're insecure. So when you're insecure and you see somebody doing well, you, get, you, you feel like, fuck, I get that too sometimes, you know what I'm saying? But it's really prevalent in the fucking, and, and, and that's fine. What you have to do is understand that, your journey is different than theirs. Stay in your lane. Don't give mm. a fuck what anybody else is doing. When you start doing that, man, when you start like paying attention to what someone else is doing, it chips away at your soul. It chips away at the energy that you have that you can be putting towards yourself. You gotta be, and this is something that you have to, you have to do. You master. You have, 
you don't you not only have to master comedy, you have to master yourself outside of comedy. You have to master not getting into that headspace of being jealous or that headspace of caring about what they're doing and that's so well. You know what I'm saying? If you want to be smart about it, learn. Learn from your enemies, man. There's comics that I don't like. I learn from them. I see what they're doing. I don't like them. To me, my, so me, uh, my revenge or my attack mode, which I shouldn't be having in the first place, is to see what they're doing and learn that shit and master it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that's what you do. So you, you, the competitions, it's your comp. You see it as competition because you see it as competition. So what is your competition doing that you're not doing? You know what I'm saying? What What is it? What, what are their habits? What, study that motherfucker. Learn. Learn from them, man. But don't be don't. When you're so young, and if you're when you're so young, when you're so young in this business, and you start behaving that way, you're developing how you're going to be for the rest of your comedy years, and it's hard to break that habit. You know, it's even in science. You know, the shit called neuroplasticity. You literally wire your brain a certain way by thinking about a certain way. You create these neuropassing. It starts with thought. You know what I'm saying? And you wire. So that's your soul. It starts with your thought, which is your soul, in my opinion. And uh, if you start thinking about like eating cheeseburgers every day, right? And you think about that shit for, I don't know how long, you will develop fucking plasticity and you will wire yourself in a certain way where now you're stuck that way because now yeah. you, you thought about it. I got to eat a cheeseburger every day. I got to have a cheeseburger every day. I gotta, it, so, and the only way to get out of that is to fucking um, stop thinking about it as much to stop. Because when, you, when you're wiring, you're firing that shit and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So the less you think about it, the less, the, the less it becomes uh, stronger and it becomes weak to the point it gets broken. So if you're wiring yourself in a you, you don't even know it, Indirectly, you, you're wiring yourself with that jealousy or that that um, um, negative competitiveness. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, envy is fine. Envy is great. Envy motivates. Envy helps you do great things. Jealousy is what starts wars. There's a difference between envy and jealousy. You know what I'm saying? There's there's a difference between natural and normal. Like, it's not it's it's not normal. I mean. It's not natural to have that animosity towards someone doing better. You know what I'm saying? It's normal, but it's not natural. Natural is things that you do out of love. Normal is something you do with consistency to the point it becomes normal. Mm. You know, slavery was normal, but slavery was not natural. You know what mm. I'm saying? Yeah. So all those things apply in common. So you got to be very careful when you're vulnerable in the beginning. But what you're going through is normal. You know what I'm saying? It's not natural. Yeah, it's you a know great what I'm point. It's normal. Man. It's a great point. It's a, it's something that's so helpful to be aware of. Like I'm fascinated in the world of neuroplasticity as well. And just your ability yeah. to just your ability to get your head around your situations. And um, man, it's very rare. Like I hope I didn't put it out there as though it's something I really struggle with, but it's something I definitely notice if you go up after a killer or if you're watching someone killer and you're up and later in the night, you go, Oh my gosh. Like it just, I, I, I like to think I take the attitude that, uh, you know, like you just encouraged uh, to, to actually take what works, master it, apply it. And, 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 and speaking of a growth phase, like I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to get up there and actually test my material and see if it holds up. And, and also, like you were saying about Katsy, it's interesting just to see how the dynamic of, of your particular show, like meaning my particular show in this instant, works in comparison to that. Because like uh, Johnny Katz is a very different style to, to what I bring to the stage. So it's, a, it's weird, like speaking of neuroplasticity or just like mass attention, it's weird to take a whole audience here and then to come out with this particular style and go, Oh, oh, gee! Like it's going to take ten or fifteen minutes just to be able to work the audience back to to this uh, this particular sort of beat per minute. Do you know what I mean? It's a right, it's a really right. interesting thing. <clears throat> I guess it, it, it's cool hearing from you after twenty six years in the industry saying, "Hey, you're still like there's still stuff to learn. There's still stuff to adjust to." It's a uh, it's just constant. Absolutely, you know the thing is, um, the more true you are to yourself, and by that 
I know it's a blanket statement, but the, the thing is, the more you're actually, when, when, let me be more specific. The more you do a joke that you think won't work is the more unique you become. Like sometimes you write a joke, you go, man, I think it's funny, but I don't think it's going to work because they're not going to get what I'm saying. So that's the joke you got to be doing because that's what's, that's, that's what's going to create. That's your, your, your uniqueness. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we write jokes and we do it for the audience. We do it in a way like it's a balance. It's, it's a fine line that you don't cross. Like you want to do a joke that the audience understands in the way. Like I'll write a joke, for instance, and I go, OK, if I say it this way, the audience is going to get it. But me saying it this way is not the way I, I talk. So if I say it this way and it works, I'm going to be stuck saying it this way. And then every time I get to this joke in my professional set, I'm not going to enjoy that joke because I've trained myself to say it this way. But if I change it to where I want to say it the way I want to say it, the artist, the artist won't get it. Then I have to figure out how I can make it the way I would say it naturally. You know what I'm saying? If, if, I, if the joke, if the punchline is, yeah, man, and he said, fuck that, that's the punchline I want to say. But the, 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 the punchline has to be, and he wasn't all right with that. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, mm. I, know he, I know he wasn't all right with that works, but that's not me. Me is he said, fuck that. So now I have to find a way to say that. And I'll come up with, man, that's all right. Fuck that. You know what I'm saying? You, you yeah. come up with a compromise and it, that's more you and it comes from them. So that's the key to being that. That's when you're growing. That's when you whenever you find yourself in a spot where you do a joke that, you know, it's funny, but it, the audience doesn't get that's growth right there. That's when you got to figure that shit out. If you really believe in it, if you think it's funny, then, then there's some jokes. You, go, you know what? Uh, I don't think it's that funny anyway. So I'll let it go. But then there's those jokes. You're like, man, I know it's funny, but they're not getting it. But I know it's funny. And then I get that shit could plague you for a year, a mm. month week however long it takes then one day you're having a conversation with somebody and boom you get it that that word or whatever it, it comes out but whenever you see pain anywhere that's opportunity for growth so embrace it so whenever you're struggling with anything in comedy that's growth it's there to teach you a lesson and doesn't leave until you fucking learn that lesson and that's that's prevalent in jokes man so you have a joke you're writing you're trying to do it and it's not working but you have a strong belief in it then fucking work it out. Work it and try it this way. Try it that way. Try it this way. Try it that way. And when you finally get it, man, not only will you get that joke, but you would have found out a more, a lot more about yourself. And then when the next time you have a joke like that, you come back to yourself and you figure it out. It gets easier and easier and easier. I was talking to I think Johnny Catch uh, and John Dore. Um, comedy to to judge a level of of of, of comedy is not being able to being funny. It's how fast you can let go of that joke and come back to the next one and be funny. Because, you know, you had a set that's great for an hour. And you have to let it go. You have to go back to the drawing board. How fast can you get back to that, that hour again? How fast? And the faster you can get back to the hour, that's, that, that's when you're gelling. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Man. I'm not completely gelling yet. I'm like, I'm almost gelling. And I'm, you know what I'm saying? Because of my, my laziness. Because I was so comfortable with my, my same set. But I have to write a whole new set. So now, how fast am I doing? How fast can I get through the roadblocks, because you're always going to have, you're supposed to have roadblocks. You're supposed to bomb. You can't rip unless you bomb. You have to bomb. It's part of the process, man. Ideally, we would love to write a joke and have it killed every time. That's 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 weak sauce. That shit doesn't happen, man. It, yeah, it might happen once every 10, 20 jokes. It won't mm. fucking work. But usually, that's, that's, why, that's why open mics are there for. Open mics is a place where you can bomb and embrace it. It's supposed to happen there, man. You can't kill without bombing. You can't kill without going bad. And then you got to look at the variables involved. I always talk about variables. Like the comic before you, uh, uh, you're number four on the list. And number one, two, and three comics kill, right? Um, and then you're, and, and you're fretting. You're freaking out because, like, you don't think your new shit's going to work. So you, you either divert somehow by doing the old shit that works 
or not giving that much to it. You have to say, fuck that. Whatever happens in front of you happens in front of you, man. It, it doesn't, you have to just be able to write in. Like sometimes I do something as simple as I give credit to the person before me. Give it up for so-and-so. Yeah, wasn't that great? Yeah. Not, you know, not, you know. What that does is that lets, lets the audience know you're not in competition. And it, it's a subconscious thing. Like, okay, he's cool. And then you start doing stuff and then you, and you, just, you just work it out. You have to work it out, but you can't be, you can't be uh, so afraid of bombing. You can't be afraid of not doing well. It's got, you, have, you have to get that shot out of the way. We call that shit, you gotta, you gotta take your lumps, man. You gotta take your lumps. If you don't take your lumps, then in the race, your shoes become untied. You know what I'm saying? So you, you don't want your shoes untied, so. Matt O'Neill told me, I was sitting with him before a gig one night, and I said, dude, like you're a relatively quiet guy before you get on stage, from what I can tell. You don't look as though, like you look confident, but you don't look as though it's an arrogance. I said, but when you get on stage, you, you flick some switch and it's like, uh, the the per, like uh, the elements of your character turn up five notches. Like your your relative confidence turns into an extreme confidence. Your uh, yeah. I, I don't know what it is. And I said like how how are you turning that on? He goes well. You know what it is. He goes I just don't give a shit. He goes I don't give a shit if I bomb. I don't give a shit if you don't like me. I like the jokes yeah. I'm writing. I like my material. And I thought hey what a uh, what a free sort of spirit to get up there with rather than freaking out about the bombs. It's a it's a nice way to do it. But, bro, I, I'm well aware of the time. And I know you've got plenty on this afternoon before you get into the lounge. So I'm not going to hold you up any longer. But, man, so appreciate you coming on. It's a good chance to, to actually sit down with you. I could have talked to you about the Sabbath. I didn't even mention that my wife and I also take a Sabbath Friday night to Saturday. But maybe part two, bro. I, dude, I'm from the church world. I was a youth pastor before I got involved in the uh, in the Christian, uh, in the comedy scene. So, Are, are you a menace? What was that? Are you, are you, are you Adventist? Not Adventist, bro. No, no, I'm more, uh, you can probably tell by my hat, my tattoos and my backwards hat. I was from a church, which is uh, Pentecostal originally, and oh, okay. then uh, eventually non-denominational. But man, I've, uh, like you, uh, there's a few things from the, uh, from the like, we still go to church, but there's a few things from the world I've, I really try and apply because I, I can see the benefit of it. And, and the Sabbath is, I got sidetracked. I was meant to tell you about that, but man, I fully, uh, fully appreciate and relate to that's what it was cool, you were man. saying about that. But I don't think there's too many well, comedians I've spoken to who, no. are, who have that in common. No, I, I barely talk about it. Cause it's like, you know, I'm like, uh, uh, cause like Scott Morrison and Hillsong fucked it up for everybody, for all of us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's like, that's why I'm like, uh, cause that, that's what, that's what they see. They, they see a, a guy who's putting his hands in there, he's preaching and he's doing all this fucked up shit to people. You know, it's like, um, I can say that now without fear being deported. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right. But, um, he, uh, he's saying all this shit, and then, so that's what that's how, that, that's how they see us. They they see like you know like the bad stuff of Christianity gets so fucking promoted, and, and it's just for me it's, it's it's like it's an excuse for them to not do it, and they don't have to do it. So, but it's not like it's hard. It's hard. That's why I don't get involved in that shit. To me, and it's a personal thing, man. Like growth with God is personal with me, man. It's just, I'm like like your your salvation is not my responsibility. But if you talk to me about it, I'll let you know. But at the same time. I'm very mindful of like, like, like my sister's a preacher, man. In a, in a religion that says women shouldn't be preachers, she's like, oh, all right. Not only is she a preacher, she's in, she's in charge of the whole youth division of a chapter of, of that of that state. Wow. Like she's dope, and she's married to another preacher, and they're both like they 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 do. You know, my mom's like, my mom was like, she uh they didn't want uh she 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 they didn't want to give her she wanted to to have a church, but but she built a church, but the you know with the church. There's a conference, and they don't they don't want to they, they, they don't want to include her in the conference. So she she went out, and she bought land, and she built a church, and she funds it herself. She pays out of her own pocket. She pays the pastor. She pays the people. She's my mom's a gangster, man. 
you know, she was very smart. She took, she took, up, she took her money and she created, she does it for God. Uh, my mom talks about God 24 hours a day, any opportunity she gets. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I sneeze, like I chew, bless you. Yeah, speaking of the Lord, yeah, bless you. You know, the Lord, <laughs> yes. I, 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 I can fart. Oh man, excuse me, excuse me. You know what? I'm sure Jesus farted too. I'm sure God, Jesus farted too. Farted anything she brings that to God. So yeah, so oh. I'm, I'm heavily into that. I, I just don't, I was, I was nice to know, man. And yeah. I can see that. No, knowing what your personality, no, I, I can understand that too. There's something about that. You, you can tell there's a certain glow or shine someone has when they, when they have that in them. Not to say people who don't have that uh, don't have the same thing, but you could just tell. Now it makes sense, to, which is what, why the, the way you're just saying, we always smile. I always hey, what's going on? You're, you're same exact. You're like the white version of me, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, with, 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 with less material, but you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right, bro. That was supposed to be our little secret, but I appreciate it. <laughs> bro, I, uh, man, so good to uh, to sit down and have a chat with you. I'll, uh, I'm going to do my best. I can't promise because I could be on dad duties this Sunday, but I'll be trying my best to get down. And Did you uh, have the kid already? We've got a kid. Number two's on the way, man. Number two's on the wow. way. So. Uh, uh, sort of early, early October. We're early days yet, but uh, but uh, yeah, green juice and push-ups, man. Number two's on the way. Yeah, <laughs> green juice push-ups. I, I use a green peptide. My wife's a nutritionist, so I have all this like health shit. But I use the collagen peptide powder, green collagen yeah, peptide. Man. I got great. the collagen really- as well. I got the coll- but only because I got wrinkles around my eyes, and apparently it's good. I think it's too many wrinkles for a thirty-five-year-old. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have to drink a few more cups. Yeah, you you white guys wrinkle. You guys you you guys need to, to iron yourselves. You guys need a fucking iron. Yeah, like, white, dude. White I need more than I need to iron and a couple of pegs. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of collagen do you use, by the way? Uh, great question, man. I uh, I actually don't is it, know. Is it, um, is it ingested or is it topical? Uh, it's uh, yeah. You just put it. In, you mix it in with your water. It's just like a couple of spoonfuls of a powder. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should get the one that you apply to the skin. Though it could be a bit more direct. Nah. <laughs> I, 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 you could, it could be, but I do, I do, um, bone broth is good, man. Yeah, nice. Bone broth is, bone broth is, bone broth is, bone broth is good and internally is good. So you want to, you want to, you want to ingest it more so you, so you can, you know, heal your body from the inside out is a, is a, is a, is a healthiest way. But yeah, no, awesome, man. Dude, I, I could talk to you all day, but I know you gotta, you gotta go work on that body because you got your show in a I couple got, of days. But again, gym, oi, thanks again, man. That was so much fun. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It comes if, if this airs on time and uh, just comments now is this Monday, uh, sorry, this Sunday, March 13th. Um, and if you're watching this after then you missed a great show. Yeah, man, for <laughs> sure. For sure. Now I'll put the audio out tonight at the very least. And depending on how quickly uh, YouTube uploads, it'll be up there ASAP. On YouTube? Oh, fuck. Oh, oh fuck. I know that. All right, cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I'll leave you to it. I'll see you soon. See everybody.